Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. I'm a little under the weather today, but I'm still going to give you a show. I'm just not going to give you a sermon. Uh, And heads up, there probably won't be one next week either, so couple of shows planned. This is just me talking about some of the shows that we've done. I wanted to do a little bit of a recap. I wanted to do that before now anyway, but I don't want to get too far ahead of the process because um, I think I think recap is important. Otherwise, you, you, we're just like Christians sitting at church week after week after week letting the sermons pass over us without really reflecting on some of the things that are being said. And I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to do some reflection on what's being said. So, first of all, I just want to reflect on doing the show itself. Uh, The show is uh, near and dear to my heart. I've wanted to do a show like this for a while anyway. And uh, so just a reminder of what this show is really all about. It's not about listening to Christians talk, although I really do believe that when Christians talk, atheists win. So there is something to be said about putting sermons out there from Christians and just letting them letting them say the thing. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm perfectly happy uh, doing that. I, I don't think that does Christians any favors. And uh, I, think it, I think it furthers the cause of skepticism. Because what Christians have to say when they're unfiltered is pretty awful. And Sunday sermons are times when Christians tend to be a little bit less filtered because they're in their clubhouses talking to their club members the vast majority of people in any given church are members of that specific church. And the exception would be, you know, visiting guests, people visiting family, and they're members of another church, but they're just visiting that church. So they wouldn't be members of that specific church, but they're still Christians. The vast majority of people who get up on a Sunday morning and go to church are believers. So preachers know that they are, they are literally and figuratively preaching to the choir. So it's interesting to hear the types of things that they say when they are in a safe environment. And it's different. Have you noticed that? This is something uh, worth noting. Have you noticed that it's a little bit different than when they come on podcasts or when they go on debates. It's not the same thing. They don't argue the same way. So sometimes, especially those of us who have been Christians, were Christians for a long time, when you listen to Christians on shows like Unbelievable or on debates with uh, atheists, 
you hear them saying certain things and it just seems very, very disingenuous. And, you know, we hesitate to call them liars. We don't want to say they're lying. It just feels disingenuous. It doesn't, it doesn't feel sincere because we know what they say when they're not in that situation. We know what they say when they're in their clubhouse talking to the people who agree with them. It's a very different kind of thing. And so I wanted to do Sunday Sermon to just get the real Christianity out there. Because I don't consider the real Christianity ivory tower Christianity. Academic Christianity is not, in my opinion, the real Christianity. The vast majority of Christians have either never heard that version of Christianity, or if they did hear it, they wouldn't agree with it. That's not what they get week after week after week. And, you know, to the extent that some of these academics might be preachers and preach to some of these people, they preach a very different sermon than they do when they're talking to people who don't accept all of their presuppositions. It's very different. They sound like very different people. Their doctrine is different. So it's not just that they're taking a different approach. They're teaching different things. All right, so I wanted to get that out there because, let's face it, uh, people who are not Christians and have never been Christians have no idea what Christians say. The only Christianity they know is Internet Christianity. And as I say, Internet Christianity, kind of like I retire Christianity, not really Christianity. <laughs> that's not, that's not, when I say it's not Christianity, I'm, uh, of course it's, it's, a, it's a form of Christianity. But it's not the Christianity that you hear atheists talking about. It's not the Christianity that people get from the pulpit week after week after week. So I wanted to um, bring you that. The, the other reason I wanted to do the show was because I was tired of being accused of strawmanning the Christian position. So let's talk about strawmanning for a moment. Okay, um, in case you haven't noticed, although I have no idea what you're doing if you haven't, I have changed environments. I was uh, sitting on some benches next to a road, and now I have made my way to the park. And so you're hearing a distinct lack of traffic sounds. However, you will hear some different nature sounds. And children, and if we're lucky, the ducks and geese. It's, um, it's nice to be out. Who knows, someone might walk by and say hello, and then I will reciprocate. But before I get back to my uh, subject, uh, we're talking about straw manning, I'm just going to stop by the porta potty, which is also a feature of the park. We have a few of those around. Now, I am going to stop the recording when I enter the porta potty. Unless you really, really want to hear 
the realistic sounds of a person using a porta potty in a park. Now, here's the thing if you do, we can probably work out some type of Patreon membership to make that happen. Let me know. However, I don't have that Patreon level yet. You can check out the Patreon levels that I do have over at patreon.com slash redletters. Patreon.com slash redletters. We're talking about my, uh, my recently released book, Red Letters. A closer look at the pra uh, worst practical, moral, and <laughs> let me try it again. Red letters. A closer look at the worst practical and moral teachings in history. We're deep diving into the teachings of Jesus. And if you think you know what Jesus taught and what he meant by what he taught, there are some eye-opening moments. The conversations are very good. And uh, I hope to see you there. It's uh, basically a dollar a show. I do more than one show a week, but I only charge for one show a week. So even if I do several shows a week, you'll only get charged the $1. Uh, at most, that would be $5 a given month because I release on Fridays as a general rule, sometimes Thursdays. And, uh, you know, you know how calendars work. Sometimes there are five Fridays in a month. Well, those months where there are five Fridays doesn't mean I'm not going to do a show. So that'll just be a fifth week uh, of shows for that month. And so when you're setting your pledge limits, some people are tempted to use $4 as a monthly limit. Uh, I encourage you to do $5 so that when those months happen that have five Fridays, you don't uh, end up missing a show. Uh, it's very good. Uh, check it out. Check it out. There, I've got uh, a few shows that are free. Uh, at the beginning, uh, and so if you look at the shows in order, eh, the first four or five are free. Check it out, see if it's something that you would enjoy. If you want to get in there and uh, participate in the comments, you have to be a member in order to participate in the comments. Somehow, I think that that is making for better comments because they're really good uh, comments. So, look forward to seeing you there. Uh, I also put out supplementals from time to time that are free. Now, most of my supplementals uh, are follow-owns to, uh, to uh, podcasts that I've already done and subjects that I've already gone over, and so it wouldn't make any sense to make those available to the public because you haven't heard what's come before it. But every now and then, I do public-facing supplementals that are not necessarily dependent on uh, the other shows. And so, check it out. It's patreon.com slash red letters. Here's the uh, porta potty I'll see you in a minute. And we're back. All right. Not hearing the uh, fountain like I want it to, but hopefully we'll get some nice nature sounds out here. I don't really consider barking dog nice nature sounds, but I guess I'll take what we can get. Okay, back to um, straw men. Straw men. I'm going to change hands here. A little handling noise. Sorry about that. All right. So, I wanted to give you 
an opportunity to hear what preachers were actually saying. In this way, you're not getting my spin on what preachers say on Sunday. This is not my spin. This is what preachers say on Sundays. Now, granted, I comment throughout the shows on what they're saying, but they're saying it. I'm not manipulating that in any way. I'm not that good of an editor. Can't, can't do it. And by and large, you're hearing all of the sermons. I'm choosing sermons that fit within a certain uh, time frame. There have been a couple of exceptions where the sermons were just really, really long, and I just had to take out a, a chunk of that. But hopefully you uh, realize that there's no tampering with the context uh, when I do that. So there's no straw manning here. And yet, and yet, it's still possible to somehow be open to the straw man accusation. <laughs> so um, take, for instance, our shows on Calvinism. We did a couple of shows on Calvinism. Uh, there was a preacher whose name is slipping my mind right now, and I'm not going to stop and look it up. Um, but we did a couple of his sermons. I like him. Uh, you know, as a preacher, I thought he was very good. You know, I think James White is very good. My favorite Calvinist as a, a human being is Chris Date. I think that Chris Date is a gentle soul and a compassionate human being. He's a, a person that I wish I knew better. Most Calvinists, I have to tell you, they're not people that I wish I knew better. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a, there's a big win for Chris Date there on putting a, a human face on Calvinism. Now, I do believe, as I understand Calvinism, his form of Calvinism seems to be the purest uh, of the forms. We'll, we'll get there in a minute. Um, but Calvinism is one of those doctrines that has many flavors. And I guess that can be said of all of the various doctrines and subdivisions of Christianity. Christianity, there is no Christianity. You know, there's, there's kind of this um, overarching master category and then branching categories beneath it. You know, Catholicism and Protestantism. And then under that, you can have more branches until uh, the branches are, are too numerous to count. Well, Calvinism is like that too. So there, there are a number of branches uh, in Calvinism. You can look at uh, Calvinism as one end of a spectrum and Arminianism as another end of the spectrum. Uh, and then you've got open theism and reformed uh, doctrine. And, you know, there's, there are a lot of points between the two ends of the spectrum. How far do you have to go into that spectrum before it's not Calvinism anymore? It's, um, it's really hard to say. It's, um, it's hard to say. So uh, there are lots of Calvinists within, you know, wherever the most conservative Calvinism is and the most liberal Calvinism is, there are lots of points in between. And all of the people that I know and that I talk to and that I uh, listen to who are Calvinists, they are all slightly different kinds of Calvinists. They're different. Their doctrines are different. 
Now, they don't like to, uh, you know, have public infighting, and so they, like every other Christian, kind of pretends like they're, pretend like they're all saying the same thing. Uh, but they're not. And so this is problematic. Uh, so, so whether I am uh, listening to a Chris Date lecture or whether I'm interacting with Mac Attack uh, over on the board. How are you doing, Mac? Uh, it's different. It's shades of different doctrines. And so you have to reset and recalibrate every time you have a conversation with a Calvinist because it's not Calvinism, capital C. It's just one iteration of Calvinism. And so you can have an in-depth conversation, think about it, meditate on it, study it, read all of the references, and then go and have a conversation with another Calvinist. And they will simply refute and reject everything that you're saying about Calvinism because it's not their branch of Calvinism. And so as far as they're concerned, you're just straw manning Calvinism. In this way, it is impossible not to straw man Christianity. It's impossible. Whatever you think the real, the truest, the simplest, the most basic, the most straightforward form of Christianity there is, no matter what statement you think you can make that would rightly identify all Christians, you are straw manning from somebody's perspective. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. There is no orthodoxy that is so orthodox that it's not someone else's straw man. So whereas I want to present Christianity the way Christianity presents itself, I can't fully escape the accusation of straw manning Christian positions. Can't do it. Because no one person can state what Christian positions are. There are too many people talking and saying different things. And this is one of the reasons why I keep doing Sunday Sermon week after week after week. You will hear one Christian say one thing one week and another Christian who is equally, equally prestigious say something entirely different and opposing the next week. And so I want to continue to point that out. Just take the subject of hell. What is hell? Well, in case you thought that on Skeptics and Seekers we had some kind of consensus uh, on what hell was, you're wrong. You're wrong. Is hell eternal conscious torment? Yes. I mean, no. Is it a traditional uh, lake of fire type experience or something that's just as bad as a lake of fire type of experience? Yes. Uh, no. Is hell annihilationism? Yes. Uh, no. Are most people going to go to hell? Yes. Uh, no. And we keep getting these, this whiplash from the answers. If we just focus on that one question, what is hell? We get this whiplash 
from one week to the next. There's no way to keep up. No way to keep up. When, uh, when Jesus did demon possessions, well, look. All right, I'm going to hold off on demon possessions. I've um, conscripted, dare I say, uh, begged some of the usual suspects, some of uh, us exgens, to uh, come together and do a uh, podcast next week on demons. Because we've done a couple of sermons now that have focused on demons. Not necessarily on purpose, it's just a very common topic for Christians. And it's very important to the Christian theology. Uh, I asked you all uh, last time, please, if you understand why the doctrine of demons is so important to Christianity, put it in the comments. I want to talk about that. None of you have come through. Where are you? <laughs> let, me, let me have some speculation. Um, I might come up with some speculation of my own, but I was hoping that someone else would get the ball rolling because I honestly don't know. Christianity would be so much better off, I think, if they just dropped demons and the devil, for that matter, just drop all that. I think they could put together a better story. It's almost as if they need a boogeyman. Okay, so you need a boogeyman, but if you need a boogeyman, it's that important to your central story it seems like you would at least get your story straight about who and what this boogeyman is. And, uh, and we don't have any of that. So uh, we'll save that for next week. And we'll, we'll look at what some of the preachers have said about demons. And we're also going to talk about our personal experience with sitting in churches week after week in our personal studies and, you know, time in seminary and books we've read. And we will talk about what we learned about demons when we were Christians. I assure you, all of us probably have some different experiences and learnings about that. And so that will be an interesting uh, conversation. All right. So, yeah, on any given subject, there's not one doctrinal view, or there's not the one or the other doctrinal view. There are seemingly unlimited doctrinal views. And knowing which one is right, or even which one you should be talking about with any given Christian, it seems like a very tall and kind of impossible task. But I try, week after week. I, I do my best to avoid straw manning or at least to acknowledge that, you know, this is what one Christian is saying, but other Christians believe differently. Right? That's a, that's a hard thing to do on a show like this, to just keep up week after week, because you can, you can just stop every, every three seconds and say, well, last week the other person that talked about this said something different. That, that gets a little bit old. So uh, Christians, you know, maybe um, try to understand why it is so difficult for us to talk about some of this stuff to you. Uh, I try to remember what Dale believed from week to week. But if I had a conversation with Dale and Teddy, 
Well, I, I might get it confused. I might get a Teddy belief mixed up with Dale belief. And the more Christians that I uh, talk to, you know, you get a David Russell in there or a Titus in there. You know, well, that's four more views that I have to keep straight about all of the various issues because they're all a little different. And in Makachak, he's uh, holding the fort as the only um, Calvinist who uh, regularly visited the show, and he visits the uh, board even to this day, and I appreciate that, uh, Mac, keeping uh, our feet to the fire. But once again, you're, you, it's a challenge when we're trying to argue with your theology because we might get your theology confused with some other Calvinists theology. It's a little bit different. So no one is, no one is on purpose <laughs> trying to misrepresent what Christians are saying. It's just all but impossible to keep straight. Okay, so um, let's, let's look at a couple of moments anyway from some of the sermons that we've done I want to go back to, I want to say his name is Pastor Evans around there. We did a couple of um, Pentecostal uh, sermons early on in the show. And um, they were right in the middle of a thing that I sometimes say about Christian theology on prayer. All of Christian theology on prayer is the whole project is to explain why your prayer wasn't answered. <laughs> that's, that's it. And you could say the same thing about miracles. Uh, the entire Christian project on miracles is to explain why your miracle didn't happen. Okay, hint. Your miracle didn't happen because it's your fault, because you, okay? Because you as a filthy, messy human keeps humaning. So the thing you can be sure about is that it, it didn't not happen because God was slack concerning his promises, no, no, God, God made promises. He's keeping his promises. He's, he's got these miracles ready to go. I mean, they're ready to go. Man, just, just do the right thing. He's going to press the button. He's already agreed to it. He agreed to it before you asked. You don't need to be begging God for the miracles. They're, they're really ready to go. He's just waiting on you. So, um, the various uh, sermons that we listen to on prayer and miracles, and, and honestly, prayer and miracles, kind of the same category. I know there are differences, but um, they end up being in the same place. Uh, the, the project is to explain what you did wrong, <laughs> and uh, why your miracle didn't come through. Am I, am I mischaracterizing that? Because, you know, of the sermons that we've listened to, 
that's been the gist of it. It's just been 30 or 40 minutes of preachers telling you why your heart isn't right or uh, why you didn't request in the right way or why you didn't request the right thing or uh, why, why you didn't have enough faith or, um, you know, it's, it's always something. What it never is, is it's never God. God is not why your miracle didn't come through. You guys want to hear some kids? I think there's some kids in the playground over there. Let's see if I can get one of these catches, uh, benches near there. All right. We'll make our way over to where kids might be running and playing and such. That always makes a nice background. I love watching kids play. I don't especially like kids. <laughs> I like watching kids play. I'm uh, very glad that I don't have kids. Uh, that said, there is a configuration of space and time where I could become a foster parent again. I do think it's important work. And uh, sometimes you have to set aside what you don't personally enjoy so that you can be free to do something that you believe is important. There are lots of things that are important that are not fun. You don't have to have fun to be a good foster parent. It doesn't have to be a laugh a minute. And certainly, it, it's, it definitely has its own rewards. But it's hard. And um, by all uh, accounts that I have heard from the experts who would know, it's a lot harder, a lot harder than raising your own kids. It's, it's some of the toughest parenting duty you will do. So, uh, yeah, there's a configuration of, of the universe where I could possibly do that again. And, um, you know, there are some aspects of kids that I like. I like seeing them laugh and play and learn and discover the world. You know, if you want to enjoy some of the movies uh, from your childhood, or even some of the guilty pleasure uh, children's TV shows that you actually like to watch, <laughs> but you don't want to admit it to anybody. If, um, if you really want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to do it around kids. Seeing that, uh, that wonder in their eyes, seeing their eyes light up when, uh, you know, they discover something new. That's something pretty warning. All right, so we've got, uh, got some kids in the playground. We've got some adults in the playground that I hope are parents. <laughs> and uh, they all seem actually pretty quiet over there, but we've got some uh, kids playing basketball over here, so I'm just going to wander over to this bench over here. 
cross-section of both, maybe. <laughs> maybe. The ducks are not out. This place is usually full of ducks. I'm not entirely sure where they've gone. Alright. Let's pick up there. Uh, prayer. Prayer. So, how should you pray? So we listened to some shows about this. And no matter how many shows I listen to, no matter how many sermons I listen to on prayer, I still have one question that I can never really get answered. And so maybe in some of the shows that we've listened to, that you've listened to, you can point me to the one that answers this question. Should we pray, be praying, my will be done or thy will be done? Which one? <laughs> Is it okay for us to ask for stuff? Can we just ask for stuff? Forget about stuff that we need. What's just stuff that we want? You know, um, can we ask for that? Can we ask for a pool table? Is that a, is that a legitimate prayer target? To ask for a pool table? Hey, Lord, I really like pool. And no, I don't like having a lot of company, so I don't, I don't really want to have a bunch of people over my house playing pool. I just really like playing pool. It helps me unwind. Um, it's just one of my pleasures in life. But pool tables, pool tables are really expensive. Would you please provide me with a pool table? Thank you in advance. Is that, is that a legitimate prayer? It's just my will be done. It's just that kind of prayer of supplication. Does every prayer... Have to, does, does every request have to be centered around what you think would glorify God? Can, can just for five minutes, you take a minute to enjoy life <laughs> without, without wondering uh, to yourself, is this glorifying God? <laughs> is that okay? Um, you see, I don't know. And then if you can pray a prayer like that, should you pray for it with confidence that you're going to get what you asked for? If you pray without that confidence, is that a poison pill that dooms you to not get it? Or if you pray with it, pray with the confidence that you're going to get it, are you being arrogant? <laughs> I don't I don't know. The answer is all of the above. And the fact is, you hear different answers in the same sermon. So I don't know. I don't know, and so um, yeah, I do these shows on prayers um, to see if I can, you know, maybe understand the Christian view, you know, what the Orthodox view or the correct view, and I have no idea. I have no idea. I I was a preacher uh, for a little while, and I have had a chance as a um, traveling preacher to preach in lots of different churches and different states and different places, different denominations, uh, even, uh, it, it was a good time. By the way, I don't have any of my sermons recorded because I'd love to do some of those. <laughs> so, um, at any rate, with all that experience under my belt, I can't answer the most basic question about prayer you could ask. And I don't think I ever could. When I was much younger, I, I, 
thought I could. But it didn't, it didn't take long before I realized, yeah, you know what? I don't know. And I look around and I listen very intently to what other people would say. It didn't take long for me to realize, you know, they don't know either. So we keep doing Sunday sermons. Maybe we'll encounter someone who knows. Billy Graham. That, would, that was an interesting one for me. Let me talk Billy Graham for just a minute. Billy Graham, he was, in my time, the most famous, the biggest name in televangelism there ever was or that there ever could be. You know, Ravi Zachariah. I'm sure he made a lot more money than Billy Graham. But he was nowhere near what Billy Graham was. Uh, Benny Hinn. I really loved me some Benny Hinn. Uh, he was big. He was a healer. Ernest Angsley. Oh, dumb spirits, come out! Come out! <laughs> loved Ernest Angsley. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, but they were nobodies compared to Billy Graham. Jimmy Swaggart. Uh, he's big. He, uh, if there was anyone who could maybe come close to Billy Graham in stature, at least for a while anyway, Jimmy Swaggart. Uh, who, uh, Falwell. James uh, Falwell. Pat Robinson, 700 Club. These are all big names. But for my money, there was none bigger in the world than Billy Graham. Who was, who was the big one for you? Can you narrow it down to just one? Who's the one name you give when you think about televangelists? It was Billy Graham for me. And out of all the other big names that I, you know, frankly, liked more than Billy Graham, I never really liked Billy Graham. There was none bigger. There was none more important. There, was, there were none more influential to me than Billy Graham. And I, I even though I, I didn't necessarily care for Billy Graham, he wasn't, you know, my brand of Christian growing up, he was still important and I had this impression that he was a great preacher and when I listened to him uh, a few weeks ago and did the show this was a this was a classic Billy Graham it would have been before my time but I was taken aback at how out of touch Billy Graham was if Billy Graham were alive today and he preached that same kind of sermon, I think he'd be laughed out of the halls of academia. I mean, if, if, he, if he wasn't, he would only be allowed there because of his stature. Christians don't preach that way today, at least Christians that want to be taken seriously don't preach that way today. 
but Billy Graham did. And it's, it's just interesting to note how badly Christianity has aged. It's aged badly. I wonder what Billy Graham would think about his son, Franklin Graham, his, his theology. Never mind his behavior, just his theology. I don't know. Um, I really don't. When I listened to Billy Graham, I was awash with pity. It was like listening to a great man come back to do a speech, but you realize, oh, he's got Alzheimer's. That poor, that poor fellow. Except it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> Billy Graham is dead. I was listening to him in his youth when he was at his best. That was Billy Graham at his best. Today, it just seems like an old guy with Alzheimer's. It seems like that crazy uncle that comes to all of the gatherings and that you've got to keep making excuses for because, you know, he was in the war and it messed him up a little bit. And yeah, he's, he's a little racist and uh, kind of misogynistic, but, you know, he's old. <laughs> that guy, that's who Billy Graham, that's, that's who it reminded me of. And I felt kind of sad. Uh, I felt a little bad taking apart his sermon because it, he was such a huge and towering figure in my day. Um, it was it it felt a little unworthy and um, unkind. No, I'm not sorry. I did it. I would do it again. I mean, I can't show favoritism as I as I do this show, but I'm just trying to tell you some of the feelings I had when I did it. Um, he was a person that I respected a lot. And, um, you know, when you, when you go back and listen to those sermons, they, they don't age well at all. I had um, the opportunity to go to a lectureship uh, that was put on by the denomination I grew up in. And um, this was over a decade ago now, uh, maybe 15 years ago now. But it had been a long time since I had been to that particular church, and uh, I had been out of that scene for a while. And so I was looking forward to going back and just kind of seeing how they progressed. Um, what are the churches of Christ, in particular the black churches of Christ, uh, in a particular area, what do they sound like and look like today? Because there were some very impressive figures in that denomination when I was growing up too. Men uh, with terminal degrees, very smart. Even men without degrees, uh, very smart. Highly clever, intellectual people even. Um... I learned a lot from preachers like that uh, in that denomination. As, as trashed as the denomination was, I still learned a lot that I value to this day. And uh, I wanted to go back and just kind of, you know, see, just reconnect with my roots a little bit. 
and um, oh boy, I, sp I spent uh, two or three hours there. Oh boy, I, I, I couldn't take it anymore, I had to leave. Talk about not aging well. It's as if they had sealed themselves in an airtight bottle, vacuum sealed themselves in and left themselves free and uncorrupted from sociological and theological progress. It, it aged very badly. It was embarrassing. I was embarrassed. My stomach twisted. It was, uh, I, I felt physically ill while I was there at the thought that this is what I was. This is what I believed. Oh, it was, it was so bad. Have you ever had an experience like that? I had all of that come back to me when I was doing the Billy Graham sermon. It was, it was just cringy, very uncomfortable. You know how cringe humor, humor is, and I, I don't like cringe humor. It was, his sermon was like that, except unfunny. Uh, and I was, I was very sad for it. Okay. We'll do some more of these chats. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and stop for now. Uh, like I said, when I first started, I was under the weather. 45 minutes later, actually it's been more like about an hour and a half for me, but I'm still under the weather. And um, I think I'll stop for now. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the chat with the usual suspects next week. Uh, we haven't exactly nailed down the time, but I think I can tell you uh, the participants. I'll be there. Duh. Andrew will be there. Double duh. Uh, Matthew, uh, I think... Okay, I haven't actually heard from Matthew. But I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that Matthew uh, will be there. And um, Sarah has agreed to join us as well. Sarah, if you're listening, there is a two Chinese beer minimum before you can come onto the show. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Um, folks, you don't know Sarah until you've seen Sarah with two Chinese beers. Uh, it's, that's a different Sarah. That's one worth a Patreon tier. <laughs> Just putting it out there. So, uh, so uh, at any rate, yeah, I, I, I want to go back and talk about um, some more of the sermons and the themes and, um, and some of the thoughts that I had about them that I didn't get a chance to share on the show because I'm trying to keep these things within an, about an hour. So we'll do this again from time to time. I, we won't do it every month, probably every couple of months. And uh, until the next time, bye-bye.